Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. In this series, The Church, an Ancient Future, we are casting vision for a future church that will be relevant in a changing culture by learning ancient truths from the early days of Christianity. For more information about Abundant Life, or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Church, good morning. So good to see all of you worshiping online with our online campus, Blue Springs Independence, right here at Lee Summit. So great to see you this morning. You probably would agree with me when I say that it feels like everything in our world has been politicized. I mean, everything is politicized. I don't know a time in my life where it hasn't been more politicized. Everything's become political. Uh, The NFL is politicized. Major League Baseball is politicized. Coca-Cola is politicized. Pandemics are politicized. Wearing masks are politicized. Would you agree the worst thing that could happen to the church is for the church to become politicized? Yet that is what has happened. And as we continue the study of the church in ancient past, we're looking to the past to navigate the future. No longer living in a Judeo-Christian society, living now in a Greco-Roman world culturally and morally, the very kind of society of early Christianity. So much to learn from this ancient words of wisdom. And I think part of the problem is the church has become politicized into extremism, and I want you to understand where we're headed today. We must aspire to be a church of the Great Commission in an age of politicization. That's the mission of the church. In an age of politicization, to still be about the main mission, that Jesus came for the purpose of redeeming the world to himself, all of creation, that he died for our sin, that he rose again, that is the message of the church, and it hasn't changed in 2,000 years, yet we can see it happening in our world today. On one end of the political spectrum, you have these churches, and you can see these images, and when I went back east to New England recently, this is what I saw in front of all the churches it felt like back there. You had the rainbow flag flying underneath the steeple with a cross. Homosexuality, sexual immorality, compatible with Christianity. Of course, it's not compatible with Christianity. That's what the message of the church has become, a distortion of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, You can see the clerical collar of this particular pastor priest. That's what many of these denominations are now doing. I'm so glad in our tradition, uh, I don't have to wear a clerical collar at all, thankfully, because I don't even like wearing a tie. I'm just saying But understand, that was begun many generations ago. A priest would take an oath of celibacy, and that clerical collar that was white was meant to picture holy, that that he was going to be celibate and consecrate himself completely, exclusively to Jesus. And now, some of these denominations are using the rainbow flag, of all things, for that clerical collar that once represented what was holy. Now an endorsement of immorality. I don't know if you can see it, but this is a political rally 
that's a pro-abortion, pro-choice rally. You have this young lady over here holding up her pro-choice Christian sign. You see the cross, you see the little fishy symbol for the Christian, pro-choice and Christian. My friends, that's a distortion. There's nothing Christian about abortion. It's one of our great national sins. Here you have this end of the spectrum where these churches have become a political action committee for those who lean left. And this Jesus for these churches and these Christians is a social justice warrior. He's a socialist Jesus. Now, you have the other end of the spectrum. We saw it January 6th at the political rally at the steps of the U.S. Capitol. You have this guy here. This is one of the images that came out January the 6th at the Trump rally. He's clutching the Holy Bible. Can you see that? He looks like he belongs in a Halloween party. I don't know what he's doing. Please never dress that way. This guy is praying to the cross at the political rally. See, for this church, for these Christians, we see America as God's chosen nation. I don't know if you realize this theologically, but God has only one chosen nation. It's not us. It's Israel. Yet it's hard to distinguish with this Christianity from who I am nationally as an American so I'm interposing the cross with what amounts to my politics, and of course you have the flag, Jesus is my savior, Trump is my president. Regardless of what you think of Donald Trump, whether or not you think it was a great president, listen, I don't think it's a great look for Jesus to tell the world that to follow Jesus, you gotta vote for Donald Trump. Not a great look for Jesus. We will lose the next generation if we teach them you've gotta be a Republican to be a Christian. And this is what is happening on both ends of the spectrum. This is what I want to talk about today and remind us of the main mission. And the main mission is the Great Commission. It's not political activism. It's not social activism. It is the Great Commission. It's what we call it. Right before Jesus ascended back into heaven, he gave the marching orders to the church. Now, some of you are want to quit listening before I get all the way done. Some of you already have. Because I talked about Donald Trump. You're either for him or against him. I'm gonna talk about him again before the day is over. I'm gonna make, an, I'm gonna make a, an application to the church corporately first. And I'm gonna make an application to you personally and individually. So don't stop listening before I get to that application. What is the corporate application? Listen carefully, the mission has got to stay the same. In this age of politicization, we've got to focus still on the Great Commission. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 28 and verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore make disciples of all nations. Some of us spend more time making Republicans of all nations. Some of us spend more time uh, showing people how socialism is Christian. I want you to see what Jesus said. He said, listen, I haven't come to launch a political revolution. I have come to launch a spiritual revolution. I haven't come to launch a political movement. I've come to launch a spiritual movement. He says, make disciples of all nations. A disciple is, by definition, a learner, a follower. What is our role as the church? It is to make followers of Jesus. He says, go therefore make disciples of all nations. That term nation is translated from the Greek term ethnos, from which we get the word ethnic or ethnicity. 
In other words, we are to take the gospel to every ethnic group in the world. That's why we have over 60 global partners all around the world taking the gospel to all nations, to every ethnic group. Over 70 of our members of our church this week took the gospel to the nations right here in our city. It was awesome. We have the nations coming to our city. You don't even have to leave your city to now take the gospel to the nations, to various ethnic groups. And we ministered to this week as a church to Muslim refugees from Afghanistan and Iraq, showing them the love of Jesus. It was amazing. That's the role of the church. That is what Jesus is teaching. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to serve all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Here's the problem. The church has always been prone to distraction, to diversion, and as nothing's really changed, and there's more diversions, more distractions than ever before, and the mission has got to stay the same, that we are a gospel-driven church, that our message is the gospel, the good news, that Jesus died for our sin, and that he rose again, that it's gospel activism, not political activism, not social activism, but gospel activism, that we take Jesus from the neighborhood to the nations, from Blue Springs to Bolivia, from Lee summit to Lithuania, from Kansas City to Kenya, from Independence to Iran, from Greenwood to Guatemala, from wherever you're watching in our online campus, from Mexico, Missouri to Mexico, Central America. That is the goal of the church. That's the purpose of the church. It's never, ever changed. It's got to stay the same. And as Christians, our first allegiance then must be to the kingdom of God and the multi-ethnic family of God. This is how we have to see ourselves. This is our true identity. Now, it's harder for us today, 2,000 years later, than the early Christians. When we look back at the early move of God in the early church, it was harder then than ever to be a Christian in many ways. I mean, there was persecution, and if they didn't kill you, they would take your business from you. They might imprison you. They would torture you. The first 300 years of Christianity is a wash in bloodshed and persecution. But in some ways, it was easier because they had only one allegiance. They understood that they were citizens of a different kingdom, that they were citizens of heaven, and this world is not our home, we're just passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. When you have no rights in this earthly kingdom, it's easy to understand my allegiance and my loyalty is to the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that was what it was for these early Christians. They, they were not citizens of an earthly kingdom. They had no rights. If you would not bow the knee to Caesar, you were seen as a traitor. Now, it's harder for us living in 21st century America because we're the first people in all of church history, frankly, that has the opportunity for self-governance. I mean, think about it. No other place on earth, even through the Middle Ages, you didn't get to choose your king. You didn't get to vote for your government leaders. We get to do that here. Consequently, it's really hard to manage that tension between being a kingdom citizen of heaven and yet a citizen that we call the United States of America. I'm an American, yet I'm a Christian. We need to change our thinking. Listen very carefully. I'm a Christian who happens to be an American. Amen. See, we have to change the adjective, how we see ourselves. 
We, we, we should not see ourselves first as an American. We shouldn't see ourselves through our nationality. We shouldn't see ourselves through our ethnicity. I'm not simply an American Christian. I'm a Christian who is an American. I shouldn't see myself as a white Christian or a black Christian. Whatever you put in front of a Christian then becomes the filter through which you view your Christianity and in some way that will become a distortion. Our first allegiance must be to the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean we don't love our nation or love America. Uh, this was Veterans Day this past week. Like we, we do, right now, we ought to honor the veterans in our midst right now among us that have served to defend our freedom as Americans. It is unique, I'm telling you, unique in all of human history that we have religious liberty, that we get to vote for our elected leaders nowhere else in history. And it's okay to love your nation. It's okay to love your ethnic background, to have pride in where you came from. But the question is, where's your first allegiance? Where's your loyalty? See, our first allegiance has to be to the kingdom of God, not the kingdom known as the United States of America, or, or, or not my, my, you know, my people. Hey, my people are Jesus' people of every ethnic background there is. You're my people. And this is what Jesus was teaching, to make disciples of every ethnic group, that it's a spiritual movement that changed the world, and this move of God is still changing the world. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 that upon this rock, he would build his church, and the gate of hell would not prevail. And in 2,000 years, the gate of hell has not prevailed against all odds and against all adversity, overcoming everything and all the opposition. The church of Jesus Christ has still marched on one generation generation after another after another. But what the devil could not do through outward persecution, he is succeeding in doing through inward erosion, deception and distortion, distraction, diversion. The church has lost its way. It's no longer a gospel mission. And sometimes I hear people say that. They, I hear people ask me this. Well, how can, how can one be a Christian and be a Democrat? I mean, Democrats are for abortion. Okay, I understand what you mean by that. I understand the question, but think about what you're saying. If we start making political affiliation a condition of salvation, that becomes a distortion of the gospel. Now, it's not, I just, I've heard the, you know, the, how can a Christian vote for Donald Trump? I mean, he is an immoral man. He's a vile man. And it would be hard to argue that he's a godly man. What we know about him in the last 40 years of his life. He hasn't lived a godly life. How can a Christian vote for Donald Trump? Think about this just for a moment. Get a hold of this. This is going to blow your mind. There's going to be Democrats in heaven. Yeah, and there's going to be people in heaven that voted for Donald Trump. See, the condition of salvation cannot be political affiliation. Now listen, that doesn't mean we become apolitical. What you believe politically should be shaped by what you believe biblically. And this applies to your life personally and individually. I'm trying to say corporately, what is our mission? Is to focus on the Great Commission. As Christians living in modern America, we've all been politicized, every single one of us. We must renew our minds to think biblically, not politically. 
We've all been politicized. You can't live in this nation, in this society, without having been politicized and letting politics shape your thinking. Well, I'm here to tell you, as your pastor, if you want to be a Christian, is to think biblically and not politically. Now, I'm going to illustrate how I know we've all been politicized. June of 2008, then-Senator Barack Obama delivered a Father's Day message at his home church in Chicago, Illinois, and it was a phenomenal message. You can still hear it. You can get the transcript of it. It was a great Father's Day message. It was the kind of Father's Day message I might preach from this platform. I mean, he challenged the men there to stop abdicating the responsibility as fathers and quit playing the victim and blaming others and to stand up and be a man. It was that kind of a message. And you know, one of the things I admire about Barack Obama, whatever you think about his presidency, one of the things I admire about Barack Obama is he appears to be a true man of integrity as it pertains to his family. He's been a great dad. He's been a great faithful husband. He has done that well. Now, why did that make some of you bristle? The hair on the back of your neck just stood up. I know. Why would it make you bristle that I would compliment Barack Obama for something that is true that every Christian ought to celebrate about anybody? Let me tell you why. Because you've been politicized. Now, now let me turn this around. Whatever you think of Donald Trump, there were some things about his presidency that every Christian ought to celebrate. He was the most pro-life president in American history by policy, the most pro-religious liberty president by policy in American history, the most pro-Israel president in American history. Bill Clinton promised to move the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. He didn't. George Bush promised to move the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. He didn't. Barack Obama promised to move the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. He didn't. Donald Trump did. Those are things that every Christian ought to celebrate regardless of whether you voted for him or not. Why did it just make you bristle that I would compliment Donald Trump? I'll tell you why. It's because you've been politicized. See, regardless of political affiliation, these are things that every Christian ought to celebrate about everybody regardless of whether or not you voted for them. Yet we live in this age of tribalism. Do you understand what tribalism is? Tribalism says that we're the good guys, those are the bad guys. And I, I can't recognize anything good about the other side. Bad guys, good guys. That's the age of tribalism, that's the age of division. And we've all in some way been politicized where we cannot see the reality. It's been distorted politically. All Christians living in modern America have been politicized, which means we need to renew our minds. It says in Romans 12 and verse two, be not conformed to this world. The world is trying to conform our thinking. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. To think biblically, not politically, the kingdom of God, every single time I go to vote, I should not be thinking in terms of voting for a particular party. I need to be thinking in terms of what will come the closest in some way to embodying the kingdom of God by this policy, by this position, by this platform. Everywhere we go is to bring the kingdom of God with us. The kingdom of God means the rule of God. 
Now, we're not a theocracy. Don't misunderstand. We're not going to usher in God's kingdom through legislation. Not going to happen. But as a child of God, my first allegiance to the kingdom of God, remember what Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And one day, all hail his name, King Jesus is going to return and usher in a kingdom that will be without end, and the kingdom of heaven will finally be one and the same with the kingdoms of this world. But until then, you and I are to bring the kingdom of God with us wherever we go in some capacity with everything we do is to embody some residue of God's kingdom. That's how we need to think as Christians in a politicized society. Now, while the church is not called to political activism, as individual Christians living in the 21st century America, we're called to be politically active. Now, when I say the church isn't called to political activism, uh, we're not gonna have a political rally on this platform. Back in 2016, the Ted Cruz campaign, when he was running for president, actually called and asked, could they have their political rally in Kansas City right here from this platform in this auditorium? I'm now standing. We just moved in this new building, this big auditorium, and they wanted to use it, and we told them no. Why would we do that? Because we want to be a church of living proof of a living God to a watching world. We don't want to be the Ted Cruz church. And that's what we would have become. Whether you were for him or against him, we would for years and years be known as the Ted Cruz Church. And incidentally, Hillary Clinton called and asked the same thing. We told her no. Because we don't want our church to be associated in that capacity and the gospel message distorted by politics. Even if it's somebody you're for. I mean, that cannot be good for the gospel. I'm going to maybe inform you at times. I might introduce you to candidates at times because we need to be informed, but I'm never going to stand up and publicly endorse a candidate. That's not how God has called me to use my voice. And I'm telling you that because there's some of us here I know. You're awesome people. I love you. And you would love for Pastor Phil to go political. I know by some of the videos you send me. (laughs) Pastor Phil, listen to this. Listen to this guy. Listen to this guy. I listen sometimes. I know what you're saying without saying a thing. You want me to go political. And here's the reality. Some of these guys you're listening to, I actually might agree with mostly. But some of them need to stop being a pastor and just run for office. That's the reality. Because they talk more about politics than they do about the gospel. And I'm not going to do that here. God's called me to use my voice in a different way. This platform is for a different thing. Okay? So here's the reality. The church cannot be politicized in a society where everything is politicized. We're on a gospel mission. It's not a call to political activism. But listen carefully. I am convinced while the church corporately is not called to political activism, every Christian individually is called to be politically active. And this is how I know. Matthew 22 and verse 21. Jesus said, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. So they came to Jesus one day and they asked Jesus, hey, you claim to be the Jewish Messiah, the Jewish king that's gonna usher in the kingdom to Israel. Is it lawful then for Jews to pay taxes to Rome? 
They were trying to trick him. They were trying to trap him. What they thought is that he would say either way, uh, that, that he would have people then against him if he said, no, it's not lawful for Jews to pay taxes to Rome. Well, all of a sudden, Rome would come down on Jesus because they don't play in the same sandbox with upstart kings. You know what I'm saying? On the other hand, if he said, yes, it is lawful for Jews to pay taxes to Caesar, then what Jesus would be doing is recognizing the sovereignty of Rome, and that would raise the Jews against him. His response was brilliant. He says, show me a coin. Whose image is on this coin? They said, well, Caesar's is on this coin. Then he said this, therefore, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God's what is God's. Brilliant. In other words, render unto your government what is the government, and unto God's what is God's. Now, in Jesus' day, remember, the Christians had no rights. They weren't Roman citizens. They had no home country. They knew they were citizens of a different country. In the New Testament, when it calls Christians sojourners and pilgrims and, and aliens, they had that real sense of, we're aliens here. We don't belong here. They had no rights to render under Caesar what is Caesar's was basically shut up and pay your taxes. That's the only right they had. And I would suggest that if Christians don't get involved one day, that's what it'll mean here, shut up and pay your taxes. See, this great experiment, the American experiment, is what it was called at the time of its inception. You know why it was an experiment? Something called self-governance. It had never been tried since the ancient days of Greece anywhere. No one got to elect their leaders for thousands of years. No one anywhere. Christians had no sense. They were persecuted often by the state. You can look at the time of the Reformation, for example, where the church had been politicized, and the church at that time was actually naming the European kings, and if it was a European king who was Catholic, he would launch persecution on Protestants, and if it was a European king or queen that was Protestant, they would launch persecution on the Catholics. And so our framers said, we're gonna do something different here. It's never been tried. We're actually going to set people free to serve God and not government. And this is why we can't look back now and learn from the early church. They had no concept whatsoever of what life would be like in 21st century America where Christians actually get to participate in self-governance. I would suggest today that rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's is more than simply paying your taxes. Today, rendering unto government what is government is getting involved in the governing process. And there's two extremes, either Christians that are just political or those that say, we're not going to be involved at all, we are checking out. And I think both these extremes are where we don't want to be on an individual level. I've showed you the application corporately as a church body, but the application individually to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's is to recognize I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, that God is my king, that Jesus alone is the one to which I will bow my knee, but I'm also a citizen of this nation, and I have a responsibility biblically now to render unto Caesar, which is more than paying my taxes, I get to be a part of the process. You know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13? You're the salt of the earth. What did he mean? The salt in Jesus' day was not just a commodity to season your stuff with. In Jesus' day, it's what kept stuff from decay. That's the only thing salt was really used for. This is where the phrase, not worth your salt, comes from. Roman soldiers were paid in salt. It was a valuable commodity. 
because it's the only way to keep stuff from decay. Here's what Jesus was teaching. Our role as Christians is to keep society from full rot and decay. And if our society is in a state of rot and decay, it's because we have quit being salty. We are to take the salt of God's word, the truth of God's word into every crevice and corner of society from education to news and journalism and media and the art and entertainment and yes, government and our influence in those places that shape society is what keeps society from in decay. I've told you before, as the church goes, so goes the nation. And it's easy to talk about everything that's wrong out there, but I'm trying to tell you, it all begins in here. We're the light of the world, Jesus said. We're not supposed to hide the light, just keep the light in the walls of the church and not shine the light. We're to take the light of God into every crevice and corner of society. The church is more than Sundays. The church is something you take with you. And it's to take that gospel light into every part of society, and yes, governance too. I want you to see how do we render unto Caesar what is Caesar's in a modern context that we now live. Well, number one, we're called to pray for our government leaders. Pray for our government leaders. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, verses one through two, tells us specifically to pray for kings and those in authority, and it's impossible to ignore the fact that when the Apostle Paul wrote those words, Nero was the king. Nero was the one persecuting Christians and setting them on fire torturing them to death to light up his palatial gardens at night. This is the man that Peter was saying the early Christians were to pray for. You know what this means, I think, in a modern context? We should pray for politicians that we didn't even vote for. Yeah. Now, I talk often about this cut-and-paste theology that's alive in modern American Christianity, like where we pick and choose what Bible passages we're going to do, and, you know, we're going to pick and choose what Bible passages we're not going to do. Listen, at Abundant Life, we believe all the Bible, which means we should obey all the Bible and not do our own little cut-and-paste theology on the Bible, meaning this is a command that God has given us all. We need to pray for Joe Biden, whether you prayed for him or whether you voted for him or not. We need to pray for our government leaders, those in the civil authority. And you know right away, if this makes you bristle, you know right away you've been politicized. What kind of a pastor preaches this way? <laughs> no, I want you to see, this, this is, the reason this is hard to do is not because it's not biblical, it's because we've gone political. All right, number two is this. Submit to human government. Oh, now it's getting really hard. No, this is Romans 13, one through five. Guess what? The apostle Paul wrote that all human authority, governing authority, civil authority was God's idea. And again, when he wrote these words, Nero is on the throne, the man that will one day martyr him for his faith. He's saying even an evil governing authority is one that we should submit to personally. You know why? Because apart from civil authority, society enters into anarchy. We saw this last year with all the riots and the pillaging and the plundering. Portland was over a hundred nights in a row on fire because there was no civil authority. The police did nothing. And here's what it says in Romans 13, one through five. The police, what we call police today, listen carefully, they were God's idea. 
law enforcement, the civil justice system, this is what makes a civilization work. And where there is no civilization because there's anarchy, it begins when there is no civil authority. And what he's saying then is that we should submit to civil authority, whether or not we fully agree, whether or not it's a different of a, our, our opinion. First uh, Peter 2.13, submit to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. In other words, for the Lord's reputation. Now I gotta admit, I'm stubborn. And sometimes I think our resistance isn't really over sin, it's a matter of opinion. Like, I think this speed limit sign shouldn't say 25, I think it ought to say 45. And I'm stubborn. I don't like to slow down. I want to resist because it's different my opinion. Why in the world at 25 here anyway? This is what Paul's saying though. Listen, it doesn't matter if it's not my opinion. If it's not a matter of sin, I need to submit to civil authority. Now, there is a limit to your submission to civil authority. Here's the caveat. The same Peter that wrote in 1 Peter 2.13, submit to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, is the same Peter who said in Acts 5.29, we ought to obey God rather than men. Listen carefully. Those are not competing statements. Those are completing statements. Those are not contradictory statements. Those are clarifying statements, meaning when the laws of men contradict the laws of God, we're to follow God and not men. There it is. There's a time for civil disobedience. There is a time. But we live in a land with laws. The early Christians had to meet illegally. It was illegal to be a Christian. They met secretly. They would meet illegally. We don't have to do things illegally normally. The day may come, we do. But currently, we have laws to work through. There's a time for civil disobedience when the laws of God are different than the laws of men. And again, there's extremes. The same Jesus who said, blessed are the peacemakers, is the same Jesus who said, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. Again, those aren't competing statements, those are completing statements. If we can live at peace with all men, Romans 12, let's live at peace with all men. But appeasement is not the same as peace. There comes a time, metaphorically, Jesus was speaking. You need to pick up the sword. All right, number three is this. Prayerfully consider running for office. Prayerfully consider running for office. I'm not a political organizer. I'm not a political operative, but I am trying to tell you if you don't get involved, it will be too late. We have ungodly outcomes when godly people are not part of the process. Yet when godly people get involved even in ungodly government, it can bring godly outcomes. You see these examples in the Bible. There's at least three. You have Joseph, who was the second command of Pharaoh. Pharaoh, a pagan, unbelieving king. Yet Joseph was able to bring godly outcomes. You have Daniel in Babylon, who served Nebuchadnezzar. He was in the king's inner cabinet. You have an ungodly, wicked, pagan king. Yet here you have a godly man embedded in an ungodly government. He brought a godly outcome. You have Nehemiah who served Artaxerxes, the Persian king, another ungodly, wicked king. But you've got a godly man embedded in an ungodly government. He brought godly outcomes. My friends, it's time to get involved. If you don't like the direction of your school district, run for the school board. 
I've had several moms and dads send me an excerpt from a book that's currently on the shelves of the high schools of LSR 7. And yes, it's nothing less than pornography for children. It's wickedness. But I gotta be honest with you, parents don't run the school district. It's not how it works. The school board runs the school district. If you wanna bring change, become a change maker. Get behind someone who will. This is how society works. We are a representative democracy. Run for office. Run for a position of influence. Consider getting involved. Take the gospel, the kingdom of God with you into government. This is what's called being the salt of society, preserving society from decay. Number four, vote in all local, state, and federal elections. Vote. We get to do that. It's unprecedented in all of church history that we get to do this. And I'm trying to tell you, all the attention is on federal elections when the reality of what really influences life the most is in the local elections and the state elections. You can see the difference in how government worked in the last 18 months with you know, Governor Abbott down in Texas who said on the outset, at no time does the state ever have jurisdiction or authority over the church. Government never ever forced the church to not meet in Texas. If churches didn't meet, it's because they chose not to meet. On the other hand, you have Gavin Newsom in California who a church had to sue the state of California to open up the churches long after the bars had opened up and the restaurants had opened up, the churches still couldn't open up. They recently won their case, so churches are now meeting again. Now you see the extremes and the difference just on that state level. This is why it matters. So get involved. Because if you don't, you'll have no reason to complain. Number five is this, hold governing leaders accountable for governing lawfully. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's means we are a nation of laws, hold them accountable for governing lawfully. I don't know if you heard, but we sued Jackson County in May of 2020 for the right to regather. Our church did. We didn't sue for money. The Kansas City Star distorted the realities. They said that they paid us $150,000. No, they didn't pay us a dime. We didn't get a dime. We were not asking for money. They paid our attorney his fees. That's what happens when you lose. By the way, the civil justice system, like the criminal justice system, is a part of God's institution of Romans chapter 13, 1 through 5. Now, why did we sue our county? I'll tell you why. Because if the science says it's safe enough for friends to go to a bar and drink together, then the science says it's safe enough for friends to go to church together and worship together. If the science says it's safe enough for restaurants to open up so families can go to dinner together, then the science says it's safe enough for churches to open up for families to go worshiping together. It was clearly discriminatory. You can't do that in the United States. We have something called a constitution. And we don't abandon it during a pandemic. I'm telling you, it was one of the hardest decisions I've had to make in 21 years. It was an easy decision because I knew it was right, but it was still a hard decision. You know why? Because I knew what is right can often turn out wrong. 
and it was ugly, it was brutal, it was bloody, I'm talking hostility, I felt like the most hated man in all of Kansas City for about 72 hours. Would I do it again? Absolutely. Now it was hard because I knew not everybody would agree, not everybody in our own church would agree, much less outside the church, it was a very controversial decision. But I'll tell you what side I'm always gonna end up on. Not the Republicans, not the Democrats. I'm on the side of the church. The church is my tribe. <laughs> Jesus is my chief. We sued to make our government leaders govern lawfully. We recently won, by the way. You know why? Because we have laws. And if the church will not defend religious liberty, who's going to? Nobody else is going to. And if we won't do it, it's not just for the church, as in Christianity, I was hearing not just from other churches around Jackson County, hundreds and hundreds of little storefront churches that don't have an online presence saying thank you for taking the bullet for the rest of us. I heard from a Muslim cleric saying thank you. I heard from a Jewish rabbi saying thank you. See, that's one of the hallmarks of American society. It's religious liberty for everybody. Get involved. And I want you to understand this is the real purpose of the church. Over 70 members of our church this week goes into Kansas City to minister to the nations among us. This is what will change the world. This is what changed the ancient world. Ministered the gospel to Muslims from Afghanistan, Iraq, partnered with Shelter KC, a homeless shelter just blocks away from our future crossroads campus, ministered the gospel to the homeless. Here's what I know when you look back in ancient future, the church with no constitutional rights, the church with absolutely no opportunity for self-governance, the church with absolutely no opportunity to speak into any legislation, the church in the face of intense persecution, they still change the world. That is the power of the gospel. Because you see, when people come to faith in Jesus, they too enter into a different kingdom, the kingdom of God, the rule of God in their hearts. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. See, that's what has the power to change the world, and that's why the church is called to a gospel mission. The real hope for the nations is the church house, not the White House. The hope is not in our government, it's in the gospel. Would you bow with me? I want to pray for our, our nation. Jesus, we pray for our country, our nation. Lord, we look behind us because in some way it shows us the future. And Lord, the diagnostics tells us that we're not healthy as a society, in fact, we could be in real trouble. But Lord, history also tells us that it was times such as these when revival came.
Lord, you did it once already in the 1720s, the first great awakening. You did it again 100 years later, the second great awakening. Lord, you gave us in some way the 1970s, the Jesus movement. It was a turning back to God at a time of great moral corruption, political division. Lord, we petition you again for a great move spiritually. The hearts would be changed. Wherever you're listening from today, right here in this auditorium, over in Blue Springs or Independence, today is the day of salvation. That Christ died for your sin, he rose again. He offers you forgiveness of sin. If you wanna know more about that and you're at one of our on-site campuses, there's gonna be somebody at the platform to talk to you about that. If you're online, you go to a link. Somebody will reach out to you personally, tell you more about what it means to follow Jesus. We pray it in the powerful, precious name of the Son of God, in Jesus' name, amen. Would you give Jesus the glory with me today? Praise him, would you? Church, I love you, and I hope you have a super blessed Sunday. God bless you. God go with you. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.